Hello, and welcome to Behind the Beauty, the North Texas Plastic Surgery Podcast. This is season one, episode three. I am your host, Dr. Sasha Obeid, and I am joined today by one of my partners, Dr. Saad Al-Subay. Nice Welcome, Dr. Al-Subay. Thank you, Sasha. Thank you. Better known, by the way, of course, on Instagram as Real Dr. Al. If you are not following this man, I can't understand why, but go ahead and start following him as soon as this podcast is done. So, Dr. Al-Subay, I was actually at a horse show with my daughter this past weekend, and I had a really interesting conversation. I was sitting there in the viewing booth with a number of uh, women, moms of variety of ages, anywhere from the late 20s uh, into the early 50s. And we got to talking about beauty. Of course, as you know, as a plastic surgeon, the moment everyone finds out you're a plastic surgeon, Absolutely. all they want is free advice, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but more to the point, we were having a great conversation and a common theme really emerged and I wanted to make it the focus of today's podcast. And the theme was that even though these were all very beautiful women uh, and also women with means to do whatever they wanted to do, they were to some degree unsure of where to even get started on helping them be the most beautiful that they could possibly be. And so what I thought we would talk about today was the seasons of our life and how that relates to plastic surgery. Now, we've spent a lot of time in the first couple episodes talking about body contouring, but I'd love to talk about the seasons of our life and our facial aesthetics. So first off, Dr. Al-Subay, in preparation for this episode, you spent a lot of time visiting with me about what it is that you see creates a favorable anatomy or a favorable look. So tell me, if I was to be really blessed, which I'm not, uh, and be incredibly good looking, how, how would I look different? Okay, first, Sasha, don't sell yourself short, okay? <laughs> um, that's an excellent question because um, when we talk about the attractiveness or the face uh, uh, beautiful features, we usually talk about very strong, prominent jawline, beautiful high cheekbones, beautiful eyes, beautiful nose, full lips, um, low hairline for both men and women. Um, and these features gonna determine the overall uh, beauty of the human face. And as uh, plastic surgeons, we try to number one, uh, maintain and exaggerate these features. And number two, if the anatomy is not favorable, like you mentioned, we try to enhance the anatomy. And um, for example, uh, if the chin or the jawline is not defined, we will try to do some mental liposuction to define the jawline. Uh, if it's not, if the volume of the jawline is not enough, 
we'll try some methods or ways to enhance the jawline at the volume, either with chin implants or fillers. So that's a great question. I love the fillers, by the way. I am a uh, Volux patient. For those of you that haven't heard of Volux, we've all heard of Juvederm, Restylane, and things like that that get injected into the lips and the cheeks. Volux is a special uh, type of hyaluronic acid, similar general concept to the Juvederms and the Restylanes, but it's actually higher cross-linked and thicker so that you can actually use it to augment more sturdy structures like the jawline. And so for someone like myself who wasn't born with a fantastic jawline, I've actually used Volux here on both sides to really help give me a little bit more of that angular face. And so that's probably a great transition into what do we do when? And so when we talk about the seasons of our life and when we really start looking into plastic surgery, I think it really starts in our 20s. Um, what... For someone who's, say, 25, Dr. Al-Sube, what are the things that you are seeing, first of all, uh, from a non-surgical perspective, and then from a surgical perspective, of how can they look the very best that they possibly can? Absolutely. This is a very important question because the non-surgical and the surgical enhancement of the face goes hand by hand. Um, so for someone who's young, in their 20s, prevention, skincare, the optimal skincare and prevention of lines and small lines is the essence of having a beautiful and youthful face. When I say prevention, such as Botox for the forehead, around the eyes, uh, in certain area of the face to prevent the lines and the wrinkles and being regular with the Botox injections and uh, basically maintaining this routine of um, facial uh, care will result in smooth, youthful face. I love that advice. So let's kind of dive into that for just a second. So for our listeners that are in their 20s, they're probably looking in the mirror and there really aren't any wrinkles today, right? So why get Botox? If I'm not seeing a wrinkle, what does Botox do and why would I need to get it if I'm not seeing a wrinkle in the mirror today? Absolutely. So there are two types of wrinkles. There are the dynamic wrinkles that they you see them when you animate your face or move your face, when you raise your eyebrows, when you close your eyes, when you smile. Uh, these wrinkles are dynamic and usually they, they go away because we're just young. Mm -hmm. But on the long term, these dynamic or temporary wrinkles and lines, if not treated with any type of toxin that's going to actually um, paralyze the muscle, um, will result in a permanent lines on the forehead. So uh, even if you don't see the wrinkles uh, when you look at the mirror, that doesn't mean that in the next three years, five years, in your early 30s, that's you're gonna actually see the permanent lines. So, in order to prevent that, um, uh, maintaining the uh, smoothness of the face with Botox will definitely help eliminate and prevent the wrinkles from occurring in the first place. I love it. So, 
pretty simply what you're saying is that Botox paralyzes the muscles and prevents us from wrinkling our face, whether that's up here in the brows, right in here, exactly. et cetera. And when we're 20, everything just works, right? Absolutely. So um, we can wrinkle our face as much as we want and everything bounces back. But here's the key. If we don't treat and try to prevent those wrinkles from forming, then those lines start to set in. And so if you look really carefully, and I kind of pull my glasses down, you'll notice that I have a little bit of wrinkling here that even when I'm not moving in between my brows is starting to set in. And that's setting in because I did not take this advice and start doing Botox in my 20s. My partner, Dr. Alcibay, how old are you, Dr. Alcibay? I'm actually going to be 37 in August. So 37. Okay, so now mid-30s. We'll give you mid, even okay. though it's kind of late. We'll give you <laughs> mid-30s, like right? I take it. <laughs> mid-30s, Dr. Alcibay, you're starting to see on your face a little bit yeah, of absolutely. the setting in of the creases going this way. That just happens to be the way that you animate. Um, and so starting that Botox in the 20s, can prevent that. The other big thing in terms of prevention is skincare, as you mentioned. And I think there's really two components to that. One, you got to moisturize. But two, you got to wear SPF, sunscreen, baby, especially here in Texas. People don't realize the amount of sun that comes through that car windshield every day. They think, oh, I only put sunscreen on when I'm going to lay at the pool, when I go to the beach. Everyone knows that. But they don't even realize you need to wear sunscreen every day here in Texas. And the reason is, especially if you are fair-skinned, you will start to see the buildup of color damage to your skin. And that will be permanent. And so even though you're not seeing it in your 20s, it's starting to build up. It's starting to build up. And it's going to really become a problem, right, in Absolutely. your 30s and 40s if you're not using sunscreen every day. So we've talked about Botox and prevention, and we've talked about prevention with the skincare. What are some things that now we can jump to that we're seeing surgically for our patients in their 20s that can really enhance their facial aesthetics, maybe help improve some of that unfavorable anatomy that they have uh, and draw our eyes to them when we look at them in photographs. So this is a, a really an important topic because um, you're in your 20s. However, that doesn't mean that if you don't have a favorable anatomy, for example, if you don't really have a high cheekbones or there is fullness between your cheek and the jawline that's really interfering with the facial contouring and the heart-shaped face mm -hmm. uh, appearance. Um, one of the procedures that we can do for younger patient with fuller face uh, is buccal fat removal. And 
we we also call it the baby fat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And the reason, because we actually uh, born with this fat. So it's already existing in our face. And the way that we remove it is through a small incision inside the mouth with no permanent scarring at all, uh, very minimum access surgery, uh, almost no downtime at all. Uh, we access the pocket or the space where is this baby fat existing mm -hmm. and we remove it. Um, this is usually a, a one hour procedure, uh, outpatient procedure. You don't have to stay in the recovery center and the restriction is very limited. So by performing the surgery, buccal fat removal, you get more slimmer face and higher cheekbone. And, and just, more to, just to cut you off for one second, sorry, to help our listeners out there, where is the buccal fat pad? Exactly. So the buccal fat pad is between the cheek and the jawline. It's this area around the mouth mm -hmm. and the extent or the dimensions of this buccal fat will be different from right. patient to patient. So patients who aren't watching us on video, if you imagine at home drawing a line from the corner of your mouth halfway to your ear, you're going to land in the buccal fat area. Exactly. And by taking that fat out, we're able to highlight the cheekbone above and the jawline below absolutely to help create that more favorable anatomy as you were mentioning Dr. exactly Elsie. and you will see a lot of celebrities and uh actor and actresses who actually had this procedure done and uh it it transformational it will change the shape of that face and give the face um permanent contouring very similar to the contour that you can get with uh, um, a you know a great makeup yeah. uh, artist but this is permanently and it's the 3d dimensions um, yes. the other procedure or one of the other procedures that we can do in our 20s uh, if we have a unfavorable anatomy when it comes to the lip the upper lip specifically, we can do a simple procedure with a small incision that completely the scar is hitting uh, at the base of the nose. Uh, and this basically mm -hmm. in the base of the nose on, on the existing line and we lift the lip. And at the same time, we actually rotate the lip or move the lip upward. So the, the, the volume without adding any volume to the lip, it looked like the the volume actually being enhanced on mm -hmm. the lip. So this is one of the other procedure. Again, chin implants can be a great procedure to enhance the lower face or uh, the area at the jawline. Um, and definitely, uh, these all these procedures are are transformational. Ultimately, one of the real challenges is we've become a zoomed in selfie focused society thanks to Instagram and TikTok, right? Absolutely. And so what we really are all trying to do, and we know we all spend so many hours trying to find just the right angle to hold that phone at. Well, the reality is that for some of us, that angle can be difficult to find. And that angle can be difficult to find because we don't have the angularity to our face uh, 
to create the zoomed in ideal look that you see on Instagram. And, and really what that is, is going to be the high cheekbones, the hollowness to the cheek, and then the strong jawline along with the strong chin, as Dr. Al-Subay mentioned. And so doing these different procedures in our 20s is the solution for this. So maybe let's kind of flip the script forward a little bit. Now, if you yourself are in your 30s, um, what kinds of procedures or things should someone start to be considering first non-surgically in our 30s and then surgically? Obviously, fillers are one of the workhorses when it comes to younger patients in their 30s mm -hmm. and, and uh, younger. Uh, we try to replace and enhance the volume of certain uh, areas in the face. Mm -hmm. For example, the lips um, usually will um, enhance the volume of the lip. Um, the other area under the eyes, um, you know, uh, when we have a little bit of a hollowness and uh, descent of the mid-face fat, we need to replace this with volume, and the best volume to replace that is fillers. Uh, they are um, uh, amazing to uh, provide uh, anatomical change in this area. So, and also for some- So yeah, so if I can interrupt for just one second. So as we talk about the lower eyelids, um, one of the things in our 30s, for some of us that starts to become a problem, is that the body is created with a ligament that attaches the bottom of the lower eyelid to the orbital bone right here. Now, what can happen is that ligament in some people can be very firm at the bone, but can be weak right above that bone. And when that ligament is weak, that causes the fat in the lower eyelid to pooch forward just a little bit. And that creates bags under our eyes. And the challenge then becomes that societally, we perceive those bags as you being tired, not well rested, not dynamic. Now in our thirties, we may not be ready to do an eyelid lift to fix that. But we can actually use filler, like you were saying, Dr. Alcibay, to camouflage that transition and erase those bags. Absolutely. And uh, that's the, the area at the tear trough de deformity or like you mentioned, and you describe it very well. Uh, what we do with fillers, basically we fill in the area of the tear trough. So it's actually fill in that valley mm -hmm. and result in a smooth contour between the eyelid and the cheek. It's all between the eyelid and, and the, the cheek junction where this deformity mm -hmm. or this unfavorable look uh, appears. And using fillers to fill in uh, is a great uh, way to uh, have a refreshed look mm -hmm. uh, with minimum downtime and no surgical intervention. And after we fill the area under the eyes to help kind of with those bags, we can then start circling back to some of those areas that were key from an anatomical 
anatomic perspective to give you that look that we talked about, we can start to fill the upper portion of the cheek or the cheekbone, augment the cheekbone to create more angularity to the face. But then also in our 30s, what we start to see is, you mentioned this, this descent of facial fat, and it starts to create a little bit of creasing right through here. That's something I know that I'm guilty of, and I can start to yeah. say, no offense, <laughs> Dr. Alcibay, a little there. bit in you in your, in your late 30s. Uh, just for clarity, so you guys know, Dr. Alcibay is a decade younger than me. Uh, so we'll get I to myself. Believe the, it. <laughs> we'll get to myself in my forties. What we need, to, what I need to do. But you know, filling in this area, we call the nasolabial fold, right, right through here, in between the cheek and the mouth. Filling in right here can make a big difference in terms of making you look younger. Uh, absolutely. And uh, many patients actually are very concerned. This is one of the signs that they come to the they come to me uh, in clinic, and they are concerned about the the nasolabial fold and this uh, prominent line. So this is an amazing solution for this problem to fill it in, smooth the contour, and get a really refreshed and youthful look. Now, surgically, as we get into our thirties, there's a couple of procedures that um, are really critical. And uh, I'll let you, Dr. Alcibay, kind of talk about what you're seeing most in surgically in the 30s in terms of the face. Absolutely. So I would say one of the procedures that we do frequently is submental liposuction mm -hmm. uh, with face tight. And um, so where where where, where is submental? What's submental? Submental liposuction, basically, as um, submental area is the area below the jawline. So basically, from the ear loop to the mm -hmm. earlobe and just underneath the jawline all the way down to basically if you have a lines in the neck, but all this area in the neck. So so the, for those of you who did not ace Latin in high school, <laughs> uh, <laughs> menton is chin, okay? So submental, submenton is going to be the area underneath the chin or on the yes, jaw. or the double chin, yes. as Thank we, you. Sorry. we say. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Sasha. Um, yeah. So we, uh, through small, basically, incision that's very stealthy and hidden underneath the ear and on the line existing uh, below the chin, mm -hmm. we access this area and we perform liposuction. Uh, we suck all the fat, basically, we extract the fat from this area. And after that, because the laxity of the skin, to prevent the laxity of the skin, we do the face tight machine, which is an amazing machine because you really get amazing result when you tighten the skin. So the face tight, basically, I usually do some mental liposuction with face tight and I offer it to my patients because I really do believe uh, on the face tight and I see an amazing result. So for those of y'all who are uninitiated as far as face tight goes, face tight is a radio frequency device that heats the skin to 160 degrees from the underside, causing a 35% known skin retraction. Uh, and again, I'm being a little bit older than Dr. Al Subay. I've been able to, I have a little more experience when we did submental liposuction without face tight because we didn't have it as a technology. Uh, and I would tell you that when I did submental liposuction in the patients that were, had really heavy necks, it looked good, but 
for the vast majority of patients, I always looked at them afterwards and thought, yeah, <laughs> it's better, but I don't know, something was missing. And what was missing always was the laxity of the skin that remained. And I would tell you, it was interesting because the patients would come back to me afterwards and I would, I would, I myself, they would be happy. I would myself would be very critical thinking, oh my gosh, did I leave some fat? Why does it still look like there's a bulge there, et cetera? Then I would put my hands on it and feel it and realize there was no fat. I had sucked all of the fat out. It's just the skin was loose. And this is where the face tight really transformed my practice because it causes that skin retraction now so that not only am I removing the fat, but I'm tightening the skin and really enhancing the jawline with it. Um, and so obviously I can tell you're a real believer in that. Absolutely. I'll tell you this. I, I you know, I do facelifts and neck lift mm -hmm. and I love to do these surgeries and enjoy them. But sometimes when I see a patient in clinic and they have fullness and they are younger and they're 30s and they are mm -hmm. concerned about uh, the skin laxity or the fullness of their neck, um, maybe 10 years or 15 years ago without the face tight, they will be a candidate for a lower face and neck lift. Mm -hmm. But with the face tight, I can tell you I'm more toward the non-invasive or less invasive mm -hmm. approach, performing submental liposuction or double chin liposuction and face tight, and you see amazing result. Um, so back to the this uh, age yeah. group or this season, submental liposuction uh, with face tight. We also can perform upper eyelid surgery. Okay. And that's when there is uh, either, again, back to the congenital or unfavorable anatomy, mm -hmm. or sometime uh, you have extra skin and a little bit of fat in the upper eyelid mm -hmm. that's going to give the tired look that sometime uh, block the vision. Mm -hmm. um, so this procedure also very uh, popular on this age group. Uh, and we perform this procedure with an incision on the pre-existing, already the crease on the upper mm -hmm. eyelid. We make our incision there. We take the skin, a little bit of skin. Uh, sometime we take a little bit of fat if needed. And this procedure take one hour, minimal down downtime. And uh, the uh, patients are very happy. They have very defined crease. Uh, that's one of the procedures that we perform in, in, in this age group. Uh, and I love fixing those upper eyelids. If we can get a shot of Dr. Al Subay, apologize for using okay. using an example since I'm wearing my glasses now. Uh, what you'll notice is that Dr. Al Subay has a little bit of a prominent upper eyelid crease. So when we talk about anatomy that is favorable, unfavorable, et cetera, one of the things that leads people to coming in to get a upper lid lift or an upper blepharoplasty is patients that have that strong, strong upper lid crease. That strong upper lid crease causes the skin above it to just start to fold over that crease. And then that again starts to make you look tired despite Absolutely. a great night's rest. And you can see actually in my upper eyelid 
there is a little bit of extra skin. Yes. So maybe so you will see me <laughs> in your clinic uh, to take care of visitors. So 37, exactly. Upper eyelid lift, fantastic. And one of the things that also people don't realize is, you know, we develop compensations naturally. So as our upper eyelids get a little bit heavy, then what we start to do is this. And we start to raise our brows to help alleviate the weight on the upper lid. This is especially difficult for people that work at computers, et cetera, because they're doing this all the time. When you do that all the time, you know what happens next? Migraines. Absolutely. And, and so more wrinkles. Yes. And the, the forehead. Forehead. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, and so I think. 30s, as we're talking about it, really talking about looking at our upper lids, uh, I can tell you um, that that's when I started to really notice my submental area being full. I look back at my photos from my 20s. Uh, it was great, nice, crisp jawline. Uh, in my 30s, it started to get a little bit blunted. By the time I got married in my mid-30s, I was really starting to look at it in the wedding photos like, mm, this is <laughs> going to be a problem. Uh, and and so I think that's a, a great treatment for that. Um, so now let's talk about that sort of next phase, which is kind of where I am, which is in our 40s. Um, when we're in our 40s, uh, things start to get a little bit more serious. And we need to start really dialing up what we're doing. Yes, the prevention with things like the moisturizer and the Botox are great, but now to some degree, the cat's starting to come out of the bag a little bit, at least for me. And so we need to start talking about more aggressive approaches. And I think that really starts focusing on tightening the face with laser therapy. And there's really a couple of different lasers that I recommend for tightening of the face. Um, the first is going to be the halo. The halo is a fantastic technology from Cyton um, that we use in our med spa that really creates a lot of tightening with very little downtime. Uh, the other big tightening option that I love right now is the Morpheus. We mentioned the Morpheus, excuse me, we mentioned the face tight earlier when talking about the submental area. Morpheus, Dr. Alsube, as you know, is a cousin Absolutely. of face tight. It's actually the same technology delivered through the skin. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So uh, it's, we talked about the radio frequency and tightening the skin with an amine of uh, indu uh, injecting energy on the skin. So Morpheus basically is a dual uh, technology because it works on number one, um, temperature and heating the skin. And also it works by microneedling. And yes. through these two important uh, element and regenerating the skin, you get the best result because you're going to uh, increase the synthesis or producing collagen and all the good stuff in the skin. And also you're going to tighten the skin with the thermal um, energy. So let's, let's talk about a little more. What is microneedling? What is, what does microneedling do? 
And it seems kind of like this hokey technology, right? I mean, basically you rub these needles all over the face and somehow you're supposed to look younger. How does that work? So basically what are we doing with microneedling? We are causing small tears and injury in the skin. And the studies showed that when you actually cause these small tears or injury to the skin, you induce a healing process that's going to result in producing more collagen mm -hmm. and going to increase the blood flow to the area. And overall, it's going to make the skin look younger and healthier. So that's basically... and. Guess what? Without any scarring, because these needles are very, very tiny, and when they don't cause any scarring on the skin. And and so I think a lot of us have heard about microneedling. We probably have friends that have gone to different spas and had it done. There are even, quite frankly, some home microneedling devices that you can do as well. But what separates the Morpheus from what you can get at, at uh, a lot of salons and what you can do at home is that it combines that tissue injury from the introduction of the needles with heat generated by that radio frequency, again, with that target temperature of 160 degrees to help cause that skin retraction. And so it's really microneedling to the next level. So now we've talked about, obviously, the skin tightening lasers that we need in our 40s. The other big thing we got to target is dyschromia. Now, it's a really fancy plastic surgery term for age spots, okay? We warned you earlier in your 20s and 30s about wearing that sunscreen. You didn't listen. <laughs> so now you've got those brown spots, those dark spots against that light-colored skin background, okay? In that scenario, then we want to target that with our um, BBL laser, which is broadband light. Uh, broadband light is basically the next generation of intense pulse light or IPL or photofacial. This is the ultimate in photofacial. What photofacial does is introduce specific wavelengths of light that target the brown pigment of the skin. The brown pigment that when compared to the white pigment next to it makes an area look like a spot or a mark or noticeable. That brown pigment literally gets blown up, for lack of a better term, by this very specific laser. And so it's two things we need to focus on when we talk about lasers in our 40s. First is that dyschromia or discoloration. We're going to target that with that BBL laser. The second is the skin tightening, which we're going to target with either our Morpheus 8 radio frequency microneedling or our Halo uh, device uh, to help tighten that skin. Now, we've gone through the non-surgical stuff and the lasers specifically. Surgically in our 40s, what are we starting to think about? So it's going to be depends on the individual. Mm -hmm. If you're blessed with 
good genes, you don't show aging sign mm -hmm. early, you probably can get away with your with with this in the early 40s. Mm -hmm. But however, in the late 40s, you're probably going to start noticing a little bit of extra skin laxity mm -hmm. that not manageable by the non-invasive the laser, the face tight, and the stuff that we talked mm -hmm. about. Uh, the other thing, when you start to see the structure of the face descending and moving, and the ligaments are um, moving around, and the, basically the cheeks are falling down, and you start to see the jowl, and you start seeing the bands in the neck, that's when we start thinking about the surgical approaches and the basically, specifically, facelift, neck lift, uh, either full facelift or lower facelift, mid facelift. And basically the purpose of these uh, procedures is number one, mm -hmm. to restore the normal anatomy, the youthful anatomy by lifting the face uh, without relying on the skin. Number two, when we restore the normal anatomy and we lift these structures, the skin that come out, we're going to get rid of it by excision. So um, these are the procedures that going to fix this problem. Uh, and the age group is like mid-40s to mid-50s, basically, uh, for a lower face and neck lift and these procedures. Yeah, I agree. When you start talking about uh, mid to late 40s, for those of us who are in that age group, I can tell you that we start to notice that we have to be very careful in photos. So we can't take a picture with our chin down. We can't take a picture with our neck back because we start to see this extra skin here develop underneath the jawline. And so we start developing little tricks. We're going to put our tongue on the roof of our mouth like <laughs> this, right? When we smile. Uh, so that that really kind of draws this area up a little bit. We're going to be advancing our forehead and our face just a little bit in the photos, almost leaning forward to try to create a little bit more tightness along here. Those are things we do in photos, obviously, but they're signs to us that we're starting to build up some excess in that lower part of the face. And that's when we start really needing to think about that lower facelift because there's going to come a point at which for all of us, that those little tricks aren't going to cut it anymore. Uh, and that's where the lower facelift um, really comes into play. So just um, briefly, talk a little bit about what's the difference between a neck lift and a facelift or a lower facelift. Go ahead. So basically the difference between a facelift and the neck lift, like the the names of the, of the procedure, the facelift is going to target the face, the mid face, the cheeks, the jowls, we talked about that fold next to the mouth or the nasolabial fold. These areas are going to be approached and correct, corrected by the uh, facelift. Uh, however, the jawline, the um, bands, the extra skin in the neck, that will be addressed or corrected by the neck lift. Now, I have to say the lower face and neck they have a very intimate relationship. And you can't do one without the other, right? Almost, almost this is the case because it's really hard to have a, a youthful neck 
without a youthful face. Right. So the harmony of the face is very essential uh, in this example. So um, in my practice, uh, most of the lower face mm -hmm. is going to be with a neck lift and right. vice versa. The neck lift, we want to do a proper neck lift. We have to address the lower face. And that's why they go together, lower face and neck lift. And that's going to address the jowl, the cheeks, the mouth, the corner of the mouth. You, you will notice when we get older, the corner of the mouth actually goes a little downward. Mm -hmm. Even mm -hmm. if you're smart, you have to smile to lift up the corner of the mouth. And that's basically an indication that maybe it's time to um, have a facelift, basically to correct the, the uh, uh, appearance. So to kind of put it simply, uh, neck lift and lower facelift, we're basically talking about treating the area from the corner of the mouth down, okay? Um, and that's the area that we're going to first see in our late 40s, early 50s as um, a real harbinger of, hey, we're getting older. Now, the mid facelift is something, and we're, as we start transitioning into the 50s, uh, that we're going to really need to start talking about more. The mid facelift is going to really target the area right here. We talk about the nasolabial folds. That's the start. What's, what's happening is our cheek fat is starting to move south. Exactly. Right? And so we need to replace that cheek fat up higher. So that actually brings us into our 50s into a really important concept. Something you hear a lot about on social media now is what is a deep plane facelift? And why do I need that as opposed to just a skin-only facelift? Well, deep plane facelift is my favorite because... <laughs> uh, I knew I could get you going with that. <laughs> uh, because if we... Uh, when plastic surgeons started doing facelift back in the days, um, facelift basically was pulling skin. Mm -hmm. And that's resulted in two problems. Number one, it didn't look natural. No. Number two, you're really relying on the skin. You don't like the wind tunnel look? Exactly. <laughs> you're really relying on the skin to pull all the facial structure. Mm -hmm. And we know one thing about skin. Skin is not reliable when it comes to getting a long-term result. Um, so plastic surgeons kept thinking and trying and the um, facelift techniques evolved over the years uh, to start doing the a little deeper tissue of the face. Okay, we need to remove the skin, but also we need to do something more on this mass or basically the fascia uh, or the layer that enclosed all the muscle and the nerves of the face and they start doing a little suturing uh, to tighten the smash and then eventually they start saying this technique didn't work so hence comes the deep plane facelift and simply the deep plane facelift means that instead of pulling the face uh, using the skin only we go deeper to the origin of the problem, the mm -hmm. structure of the face, the muscle uh, that descended, and we lift In it. fat that descended. Exactly. We lift it, 
and we actually suspend it on the uh, anatomically correct uh, youthful position, um, and then we excise the extra skin or the skin that's going to come out. And the deep plane results... So with the deep plane, basically, you're carrying the weight of the facelift on the underlying fat and muscle as opposed to on the skin. And the skin that comes out really isn't about making you look pulled or snatched, but really it's just because now there's a little bit of extra skin that's created as the fat goes exactly. back to where it's supposed to be. And guess what? <coughs> the result are very natural and the result, they last for 10, 15 years. Some patient, they don't even need another facelift mm -hmm. if it's a well-done facelift. Same thing with the neck. Uh, instead of Yeah, I read an actually a really cool study the other day. They looked at patients that had facelifts uh, and then looked at their photos again 10 years post-surgery. And what they found was, of course, their immediate afters look better than they do 10 years down the line. But what was interesting was that the 10-year post-op facelift patient actually looked younger than the preoperative photo from 10 years previously. So the, this result lasts a long time. Absolutely. And in my opinion, that's the selling point in deep plane facelift because you're getting a long lasting result, natural result. And as you said, studies showed that patients look better than their before the surgery uh, pictures uh, even after 10 and 15 years. Um, so that's the deep plane facelift. Um, and the same thing with the neck, the um, deep plane um, uh, neck lift, where we, instead of targeting the skin, we uh, repair the muscle. We take the, uh, remember when we talked about the submental liposuction? Mm -hmm. The submental liposuction addressed the superficial fat that's mean the fat underneath the skin for our listeners, but there is actually fat underneath the muscle in the neck. And sometimes this fat is actually not related to the uh, weight of the patient. Uh, the patient either skinny or uh, overweight, they have a um, amount of fat that's underneath the muscle. So the deep plane neck lift address the fat underneath the muscle and we repair the muscle, we tighten, and we tighten the skin, and back to the unfavorable anatomy, we get actually a favorable anatomy because we're able uh, manipulating the uh, muscle uh, and the neck area to build that jawline, even if it's never existed, and get a really well-defined jawline and a beautiful face. So I have a question for you. As we're talking about face and neck lifts, and we're talking about how we age, you mentioned something about the bands in the neck. And for our listeners out there, a lot of us look in the mirror and we start to see this little band here and this one here. What the heck is that thing? Why is it there? What is it? This is basically a muscle. It's called the platysma. Okay. And this muscle goes from- What's it do? It basically, 
It doesn't really have a lot to do when it comes to the function. It helps animate the neck. Mm -hmm. and uh, It's but, what lets you do this, basically. Exactly. So, <laughs> so Don't ask me why you ever want to do that, but that's what it'll let you do. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, this muscle, um, especially in men, it's yeah. very prominent. And yeah. it's very uh, one of the... Symptoms that for my patient when they come to me in clinic, they are really annoyed by the bands. And early on, these bands are uh, dynamic. That means they're going to show up when you contract or activate mm -hmm. the muscle. But when we get older. So when they're dynamic, it's a great point. When they're dynamic, we talked about this in our 20s. Right, we can actually target them with Botox exactly to kind of get them to lay down and become less evident. But what happens is eventually they become static. In other words, they're there when you're not moving, and that's when we need to do the surgical intervention. So, what do you do specifically surgically to fix those bands? Perfect. So basically, what we do, I make an incision underneath the chin. How big are we talking? We're talking an incision. We're talking about you know, a small incision <laughs> okay. that's probably an inch and a half okay. um, at max. Um, we make this incision and we underneath the chin, so you won't see it. Underneath the chin, you okay. don't see it. It's already in the crease. In that crease that we already have exactly. there. Exactly, you right. already have the crease. And then we um, identify the muscle. We have a visual, direct visual to the muscle, and then we repair the muscle with sutures. So that's gonna close the muscle. And so get suture the two edges together, basically. Absolutely. And then here's the amazing thing. Okay. If you're doing a neck lift and a facelift, I usually combine this mm -hmm. incision with my uh, uh, outside, the outside or the hairline incision. You grab the platysma that's already repaired in the midline and you use it as a hammock. So you pull the entire content of the neck and you snatch that neck and you get a beautiful jawline. I love it. So I love it. So you're going to basically, you're pulling on the muscle essentially in two directions. First, you're pulling in the center to help tighten it up. And then from the sides, you're also pulling outward. So it's kind of like grabbing a bed sheet from two different corners and pulling on it. Absolutely. And that's what makes it really nice Absolutely. and tight, right? Yeah. So one thing before we get off of the uh, topic of uh, the 50s, we talked in the in our thirties about using some filler underneath the eyes to treat those bags. Now, when we start getting to our fifties, our late forties, early fifties, we start getting into a situation where that filler is not going to cut it anymore. Okay. Um, the bags for a lot of us are becoming too prominent. So what do you do surgically then at this point to fix those bags? So, we do the lower plephroplasty or the lower eyelid uh, uh, procedure. And that basically when we, and there are different techniques, obviously depends on the presentation of the patient. Each patient is an individual. So if you have extra skin, that's gonna, uh, an indication that we need to get rid of that skin in additional to the fat or the bags. Uh, if there is not too much skin, that means if we get rid of the bags without removing the skin, that's also 
would work. Uh, the good thing about if you're still early, you don't have extra skin, we we can make the incision inside the uh, the the lower eyelid. Mm -hmm. So basically, without any external scar. This is a procedure that's scarless. We make small incision and we uh, get rid of the fat. Most of the time, uh, we get rid of some of the fat, but also we use this fat. Remember that junction between the eyelid and the mm -hmm. that ligament you described? We use that fat to camouflage the area. So mm -hmm. you get basically a permanent filler in the area, mm -hmm. you don't really have to do fillers anymore if it's a well-done uh, lower plephroplasty. So I love that description of the lower eyelid and, and fixing that extra fat that's pooching there and causing those bags. I want to circle back to one very quick point um, that you made there, which is that with the lower eyelid lift, one of two situations arises. The first is that we have an exclusively fat problem. If we have an exclusively fat problem, then approaching from inside the eyelid allows us to address that fat problem with no external scars. The problem is that for a lot of us, we have not just a little bit of extra fat there, but we also have some extra skin to the lower lid. And then you can place a little tiny incision in the natural creases of the eyelid just below the lashes. And that little incision allows you to grab a little bit of extra skin rejuvenation along with that fat rejuvenation. Now, as we start heading in towards our 60s, we've got to go back through again, obviously, all of the facelift options. But we're also starting to see some really heavy brows. And so that's when we need to start thinking about a brow lift. Now, you guys have probably heard of different types of brow lifts. You've seen different incision patterns. Ultimately, when we look at the brows, how do you decide what the right brow lift is? Exactly. So um, the depends on the symptoms. Uh, we usually determine uh, how uh, severe is the uh, brow, and I'm going to use a Latin word here, warning, <laughs> ptosis or descent of the brows. Uh, if the brows are really descended, and basically just to give a reference, for uh, women, we like the brows to be a little higher than the bony component of the orbit. For men, the ideal brows position is exactly at the rim or the bone. I'm okay. <laughs> That's good. Uh, so it really depends on the extent of the symptoms, if this brows is really droopy, we will need to lift the entire brows. Mm -hmm. If the only the outside of the brows or mm -hmm. the corner of the of the eyes, this area uh, of the brows is droopy, we can think about just doing the lateral uh, or temporal brow lift, or as known as the uh, ponytail uh, brow lift. Mm -hmm. And uh, the difference between these two techniques is basically the. Um, 
the extent of the incision. Mm -hmm. If it's a, a, a whole brow lift, we're going to do it. Uh, and there are different techniques. We can talk about them uh, either later, but basically the point is to access the brows, release the brows. That mm -hmm. means we uh, actually perform a little bit of release and we cut some of the ligaments that holding the brows in uh, its mm -hmm. abnormal position. And then we lift the uh, brows. Uh, one advantage, if we use the incision at the hairline, Mm -hmm. At the same time, uh, we can actually lift the brows and advance the hairline or shorten the forehead. So for patients who have a very uh, el elongated forehead or a receding... Uh, so it's actually not a forehead, but a five head. Yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Five and more. Yeah. Um, w actually, this allows us to not only lift the brows, yeah. but also to uh, advance or lower the hairline. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, temporal or uh, ponytail uh, brow lift, we basically make an incision um, just you know, at the hairline, we design it very specifically. It's obviously a very meticulous procedure. We want to make sure that that scar is not visible and hidden completely uh, within the hairline. And we access the lateral um, uh, brows and we lift it. Now, we're going to go a little back to the 20s and 30s. Okay. And I have to say the ponytail brow lift is popular among this group. Okay. Because if you're not... Um, if you don't have the favorable anatomy of this supermodel look where the, uh, uh, the brows, fox eyes. exactly. What are fox eyes? Tell me about fox so, eyes. So fox eyes, basically it's when the brows and the outside is going up and you can see it on very, you know, mm -hmm. famous supermodels and celebrities. They have that, the brows arching so the outside up. of the brows, excuse me, the outside of the brows are higher than, than the inside of the, the inside of the brows. Uh, and that's a very um, kind of uh, attractive and very popular look now. And some of the patients in their 20s and 30s, they actually choose to undergo this procedure. And it's a minimum procedure with a small scar. You can get that effect. But So basically, you're pulling the outside of the brow from the hair right here. Exactly. Just giving a little bit of a lift there yes. uh, to try to create that fox yes. eye. Hence the name ponytail. Because if you pull on the ah. hair, you're going to lift the... Fox eyes. I love it. Um, but back to the, you know, 60s and, mm -hmm. and that age group. So the brow lift is one of the procedure. And also I have to say, because when we get older, we lose a lot of volume in our face. Mm -hmm. So um, in my practice, when I see a patient who interested in facelift and neck lift and they need it, mm -hmm. but also they have depletion or deflation of mm -hmm. uh, deflation of uh, the volume of their face, we consider fat transfer. Okay. That's mean we're going to take a little bit of fat, most likely from the belly, and we process this Or the fat, love handles if you're me. Or the, Sorry. <laughs> or the love handle. Yeah. Um, I leave it up to, the, to my patient actually to choose. <laughs> uh, and I tell them I take a little bit more than I need. Uh, but um, we take that uh, fat, we process the fat, and we targetly inject that fat in the area where the volume is depleted, mm -hmm. uh, mainly underneath the eyes, mm -hmm the cheeks, nasolabial fold, mm -hmm. and sometimes if the uh, jaws or the jawline is not well-defined or or um, because when we get older, we lose so some of that really volume. what you're talking about 
is taking that fat and using it like we are using fillers exactly. in our 20s, 30s, etc. But giving something, the fat's got a little bit more substance to it. It's a little bit more firm. It gives us a little bit more pop and a little bit more permanent result. That's a great option in our late 50s, early 60s to help revolumize the face uh, as opposed to doing just the filler. Absolutely. Um, and that's combining these procedures together, lower face and neck lift, fat transfer to the face, brow lift, uh, eyelid surgery uh, will result in a youthful face, uh, natural face, and uh, without disturbing the harmony of the face because you don't want the upper part of the face and the brows to be to look older than the lower face. Absolutely. It, it's important that everything matches, right? Uh, so we have to have the top of the face manage, match the middle of the face and the neck, et cetera. Well, listen, Dr. Alsube, we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours. And while I would love it, I'm sure our listeners have other things that they would rather be doing. They continue to hear us <laughs> banter back and forth on faces. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been a real pleasure learning about what to start thinking about in 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, etc. from a facial rejuvenation perspective. Uh, for those of you that aren't following Dr. Al-Subay on Instagram, Real Dr. Al, you've got to do it. You're going to see some absolutely mind-blowing facial rejuvenation results. Thank you again for your time. Thank you, Sasha, so much for having me. I'm so excited to be part of this podcast and looking forward for more episodes. And I'll definitely be listening to it on my way to work. I love it. That's a wrap. Behind the Beauty, the North Texas Plastic Surgery Podcast, Season 1, Episode 3. Thank you so much for joining us.